This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 74th episode of the podcast, and it is another week in and amidst the coronavirus pandemic and our new normal. And I don't think it's an overstatement to call this our new normal, because if it, something goes on for a month, there's a certain amount of normalcy to that. But I don't want to spend too much time talking about that. I mean, there's a lot of good things that have come out of this. And I've used some similar terms over and over again in my writing, in my real job, in my family, and I don't think that I can stress them enough. And that is, how are you redeeming this time? What is the silver lining on the cloud of this situation? I'm tying a lot more flies now. Does uh, a, a global pandemic where thousands and thousands are dying justify me tying more flies and make it all worth it? Absolutely not. But what else are you going to do? You can sit in front of the TV and watch the news and just get sad? Um, are you going to uh, maybe do something more extreme? Am I going to, real quick, learn how to be a triage nurse and uh, fly down to New York City and, and do that? Well, that's not realistic. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take care of what I have been given. I'm going to take care of the people that are in my family and the people that uh, I have responsibilities for at work. And I'm going to also do what I can do to stay busy and stay industrious and stay proactive. And so one small thing is fly tying. It's been fun uh, for me because I have not only been just working on normal fly tying, filling up my boxes for whenever things kind of start getting back to what we want them to be like, but I'm tying more with my boys. Also, I have been doing the online iron fly that I talked about last week. So last week I tied a diaper themed fly because you had to get all of your materials from the bathroom. This week is a kitchen themed fly. And so I tied a fly using the gold foil wrapper for a chocolate coin and a little bit of fuzz from a pot holder that started to come undone because it got burned. And then the skin from an onion. 
And let me tell you, onion skin is not an easy material to work with when tying wings on flies. So I, I was able to do that. So if you want to see pictures of my golden onion emerger, which is a little size 20 emerger, and the striper diaper, which is a big uh, two-watt striper fly, um, those you can find at my Instagram account. I'm just at casting across. But little things like that are, are great ways to find a distraction, to be able to sit down and be creative. And I mean, is there any long-term value for that? Not necessarily, but it's also more than just a uh, meaningless diversion. Uh, there's a lot of community involved in here. I know there's a couple of groups of people that I'm chatting with about this on social media and then in real life also. So those are good things that uh, you can redeem and that you can not only just buy the time, but it has a payoff that is going to continue to build as this lingers on or as we move back to what we want things to be like. Speaking of which, I got a really interesting email. And I know this is a podcast that's going to be a little more rambling than usual, but I think that's kind of where we are these days. And uh, I, I wanted to touch on this specifically because it ties back into a podcast I did a few weeks ago. And I've gotten a lot of emails from fly fishing industry folks, uh, whether it be manufacturers, whether it be guides, whether it even uh, be other social media figures. And there's all sorts of stuff. Not a lot of sale items and like not what I mean by that not like pushing by these things because I think people are sensitive to that at the same time people are buying things there are a lot of sale opportunities but also a real awareness and a cognizance that the fly shops and the smaller companies need our support so I'm getting those things I'm also getting uh, other, those distractions that personally I'm choosing not to engage in because the last thing I want to watch is somebody catching a big fat trout in some beautiful place when I'm n not having the opportunity right now. And that is really more of an indictment on my self-control uh, than it is on the people who are sending me these awesome videos. But I've also gotten a few just messages and notes, uh, just general emails about uh, just the, the current situation we're in. And the one I wanted to share, as I said, has to do with the Delaware River system. So a few weeks ago, I did a podcast on why you should fish the upper Delaware. And it was a very general podcast, just a broad overview, something to whet your appetite. So I think that it behooves me to mention this email that I got from the West Branch Angler Resort. So I've stayed at the West Branch before. Um, I've stayed in one of their cabins, and it was fantastic. It was too nice for me, to be honest with you. Uh, this is the kind of place where if, if you really want swanky accommodations, or if you're bringing a non-fishing uh, spouse or friend or children, uh, then the cabins they have there are just excellent. Um, beautiful. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, they sent an email out and it was titled a plea to upper Delaware river anglers. Please stay home until it's declared safe to go back in the water. Now, immediately you might say, "Ugh, being told to do more things. I'm sick and tired of that. Or you might be saying, great, more rules, getting more people to stay inside. Now, I think the happy medium is where we need to be. But I think the point that's being made in this email is really, really important, and they do a great job of crafting this, and it's not just the West Branch Angler result. There's probably 25, 30 co-signers at the bottom of this thing, including, um, let's see, Daddy Flies, uh, East Branch Outfitters, Friends Upper Delaware River, uh, River of Life Outdoor Adventures, uh, people and organizations, uh, the uh, local TU chapter that I've had inter interaction with, and so there's a lot of credibility there. And I'm, I listened when I saw those names. 
So there's a lot of caveats in here, and it's well written. But this is the thing that I really wanted to, to, to point out. And this is something I didn't mention a lot in my podcast, but just the really neat nature of the community up there. So this is from their email. It says, we are concerned for everyone's health, both yours and the health of the residents of the upper Delaware River watershed. The stress levels in these small communities are elevated from the realization that medical care and other critical public services are in short supply. We've been overwhelmed by the sensitivity to this growing problem expressed by so many seasonal visitors to our area, including the angling community. A heartfelt thank you for your concern and understanding. So this shows a real important picture of the heart that a lot of these small businesses, these small fly fishing businesses have for the communities that they're in. Now, would the West Branch Angler Resort want their rooms filled and want their guides out on the river, even if it means maintaining some sort of heightened uh, sterilization process for their facilities and social distancing for their guides, I'm sure they would love to figure out a way to make that happen. And the same could be said for all these other co-signers that, that you could find in, uh, in this, this open letter. But what's being shown here is a real heart for the fact that they are a part of a small and intimate community. If you've driven in this valley, and there's really multiple valleys here in the in the upper Delaware watershed, you realize quickly that this is not a big place. These are big rivers. These are very, very productive trout fisheries, but these are small communities, small towns, the kind of place where after a certain hour, the only thing available to get a bite to eat is a couple of small bars. I mean, these are small little communities. And so to me, it's a little bit heartwarming, if, if I can say that, that uh, this plea was structured in this manner, that the concern that these folks have, these fly fishing professionals, reflects their care and concern for their community. And I think it's just a really cool thing, and it, and it shows a really neat part of the fly fishing community, and that's the real close tie of even the most prestigious and the most high-end fly fishing resorts and guides and outfitters and manufacturers and fly shops with these small communities that you often find them in. It's kind of cool to think about. You know, the fly fishing is not cheap. It, you certainly can do it on the cheap. But most of us realize that there's a majority of folks that are in it that spend a good amount of money doing it, especially if you are into the outfitting and the guiding and the lodging side of things. But at the same time, a lot of these places are located in rural communities where that is not the same demographic that is surrounding these lodges. We've seen how this works in international trips, particularly rural jungle-style trips, where there is often a relationship between the lodge and the local community and this great influx of cash benefits other people on the periphery in some pretty profound ways. I don't think we appreciate how that probably happens in smaller fly fishing centric communities also. This uh, email I got from the West Branch really got me thinking about that and hopefully people can be back on the water uh, very, very soon. Um, they, they close their letter out by saying that compliance to these protocols will serve to put this behind us sooner rather than later when we can once again enjoy the sport we love and the people we care about. 
Thank you. We look forward to seeing you when the coast is clear. And so really, whether it has to do with public comfort or whether it has to do with the actual remediation of the virus itself, there's something to be said for people thinking very holistically about how we deal with this from an economic standpoint, from a epidemic standpoint, from a sociological standpoint. And I appreciate this email. There may be more facets to it, of course. I'm going off of reading it once. I haven't done any research deeper than that. But uh, the one thing that stood out to me more than anything else was the real community-minded nature of, of this email. The next thing I want to talk about, just real quickly, has to do with packing for going on the water. So I've actually done podcasts and articles about this before, and what I want to mention today is a little bit different. So I think that there's going to be a day in the next couple of weeks, and hopefully not the next couple of months, but in the near future, where we all get a chance to just run back outside, and we dive into the water head first, and we flail around casting every which way because we're just so excited to be back doing what we want to do. I know a lot of us are still fishing, but to be honest, a lot of us aren't fishing as much or in the same places or in the same manner that we would like to under normal circumstances. So I, again, I think that there's going to be this great release where everyone just goes hog wild. And there's a good element to that. But I think another part of the redeeming the time and gaining perspective that we can bring to the return to normalcy is reflecting on some of the things that we enjoy more when we are out on the water than uh, we, we might think. So obviously catching fish is a lot of fun. Obviously standing in the water and playing with your fly box is a lot of fun. But being outside is such a breath of fresh air, both literally and figuratively. I noticed that this week I fished for a couple hours. I had to take some pictures and I found my way into some brook trout. Just getting my waders on, getting my boots on and standing in the water, I leaned up against a tree stump and I just took it all in. And not to be hokey or anything like that, but it's been pretty busy for me at home and at work. And so to be able to do that was like good enough. Getting into fish was, was you know, the, the icing on the cake. But for me, just being there on the water, hearing it moving, hearing the birds, seeing the leaves blow around, how much of that do we really stop and appreciate until we don't have it? And we might not have it because we either don't get out or we get out all the time. I think that it is something that more of us can take a moment to stop and smell the whatevers maybe not roses, maybe maybe pine trees or maybe rocks or whatever. So to that end, how do you pack for that? So I have been fishing with one sling pack this season only because I've just kept it in the back of my car and I've added fly boxes on an as-needed basis, and that's a Vitavu Beast sling pack. So it's a, it's a bigger pack. It's a very, very large pack. It is the pack that if I have a trip coming up, it's the pack that I will use if I'm going to be out all day on the water and away from my car. So it's a pretty big size pack. It's not a full backpack, but it's a pretty good size sling pack. I can use this when I'm not fishing all day or if I'm fishing all day and I don't need a lot of boxes because I can carry a small stove in it. Like not one of the camp stoves. It looks like a laptop, you know, um, that you open up and it's got two burners on it, but like a small little jet boil, the size of a coffee mug for all intents and purposes. And actually mine fits inside of a coffee mug. And then you've got your little fuel canister. 
the whole thing together doesn't weigh anything. And having that in your pack gives you a little bit of an incentive to stop, to stop and have a cup of coffee, to stop and have some instant soup, to stop and have a cup of tea, to just relax for a few minutes. It's an awesome thing. I don't do it enough. When I do it, I think I need to do this all the time. And then when I'm packing, I say, eh, I don't need my coffee mug. Ah, I don't need you know to bring my little stove. But to do that, it is a great thing to do. So whether you are getting out now or if you're anticipating getting out in the near future, that would be a great encouragement from me to you to bring along whatever you want to drink. And here's here's the key. A granola bar is nice, but I'll eat a granola bar in one bite. You know, I'll, it's, it's gone in a minute. But to sit there and get the water, get it boiling so you don't get giardia, the last thing you need after you survive coronavirus is beaver fever, and to get that thing up to temp and then to let your coffee or your tea or your soup or whatever steep and get to where it needs to be and then there sit there and enjoy it there's something to be said for that and to just have that time are you catching fish while you're doing it no are you making progress while you're doing it no but what are you doing you're probably looking around maybe you are taking a moment to reorganize all of your mess and your sling pack or your vest that you've made maybe you are just watching the bugs watching fish rise the amount of things that we see when we stop and we watch is amazing. So what this does is it forces you to stop and watch. And in doing so, you're able to perceive so much more. So that's my encouragement to you. Uh, all this quiet and all this peace and all this stillness that, that we're, we're getting forced upon us. And I know for a lot of people that's not the case, but for I would say most people it is. How can you take that and some of the good benefits that you derive from doing that, how can you take that onto the water and slow down and enjoy the, the greater picture? So that's just a little bit of a random encouragement, but something that as I was sitting there against that tree stump on the water this week, I thought, you know what? I should do this more often. And then I went and caught a trout. And it's because I was on that tree stump. There's something to be said for that. I'm not sure if there's a direct correlation, but I'm going to say there was because it proves my point. This week on Casting Across, there are two articles you can find. The first one is called Trout on a Razor's Edge. So I was driving around a couple weeks ago, and I came up to a spot that I know has trout in it. And I wasn't ready to fish and have my stuff with me, but I wanted to look around kind of in a scouting capacity. And in looking at this little tiny creek, and realizing just the remarkable fact that it has endured in spite of everything that has happened around it from a developmental standpoint, not just being where it is in the Northeast, but uh, what's been built around it, that there have been brook trout found in this creek, it just blew my mind. But it also made me say, you know what? This thing is tiny. I don't need to catch fish here. And I had a similar experience a few years ago when I was in Virginia. There is a naturally reproducing population of brook trout in this little tiny creek that again is in the middle of suburbia it's not exactly where i lived it was probably about 45 minutes to the west lots of literature about it not fly fishing literature but scientific literature saying there are this little char species that live in this creek and i thought oh my goodness i could catch this trout in this really cool place it's kind of where i live and then after i drove by one day i thought you know what this is so tiny and so fragile. 
I don't want to be the one that messes it up. I don't want to be the guy that catches the the trout and guts hooks it or something like that. I don't I don't know. So maybe that's that's going overboard. But the, the fact of the matter is, there's so many places I can go to catch small trout. And so in this article, I talk a little bit about that. And uh, it's not a broad brush ethical condemnation of one position or or another. It's just something to think about. Is a couple fish from a pool enough, or do you want to hammer every fish in there? And then at a macro level, you know, what do you want to do to a stream? Is the presence of fish enough reason to go fishing for them? And I would say nine out of ten times, the answer is yes. But are there situations where it's a no? And so that's what I talk about in this in this article. And Wednesdays is called Waiting Means Moving, Reddington Benchmark Boots. So I have two pairs of waiting footwear that I have used for years. One is a really great pair of incredibly heavy-duty wading boots. I mean, these are maybe top of the line. I know price-wise, they're definitely up there. And I, they're love, I love them. They're great. They're, they're rock solid, a lot of support. I can be on my feet all day in them. The other end, I have some wading shoes that I use, actually kayaking shoes, and I've written about them and talked about them on the podcast. And those do everything I need them to do when I'm up in the mountains after I've run or if I'm on the, the sand or something like that. So two great footwear options. What I realized I didn't have was something for most normal fishing situations, something that required being in waders and then consequently having boots, but really didn't necessitate those super heavy-duty, clunky wading boots. If I'm hopping around on rocks, if I'm traveling in my waders and boots a while on a trail, then I need something lighter. And I think I found them in the Reddington Benchmark boots. Now, the cool thing about these is that they're the entry-level boot, but they are just a very well-built, very lightweight, very stable and comfortable boot. These might be the most comfortable wading boots I've ever worn. And I've tried on a lot and I've worn a lot and I've worn out a lot and I really enjoy these. So you check out more of the review on the website and the article, Waiting Means Moving Reddington Benchmark Boots. If you're in the market for a new pair or you want something that fits that niche that I was just describing, I highly recommend uh, the Benchmark Boots from Reddington. Today's recommendation on the podcast is telling someone thank you. We've been hearing a lot about all the thank yous that are being offered up to medical workers, grocery workers, public safety officers, all sorts of different people that are obviously doing a lot in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and they deserve it, most definitely. But if you have a moment, consider saying thank you to somebody in the fly fishing world whose life has been changed because of coronavirus. So a fly shop owner or a manufacturer or a guide or a lodge, somebody who you've patronized in the past, maybe even somebody who you would normally be patronizing in a certain way now, but you can't because of all this, either your financial situation has been altered or you're just not fishing because of this, still make the effort to reach out. I know it's not the same as putting money in their pocket, but there's something that is communicated and something valuable in a simple thank you. So I'm making a list of four or five people that I want to reach out to and tell them I appreciate them. I've already done it to some people, and it's literally the least that we can do, but it means a lot. If you've ever received a heartfelt thank you, then you know the value of that. So 
think about who that could be. And even if it's a short email or a text message or something like that, then uh, definitely pass that on. I know that they will appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.